Warren Worsby tells a story as he notes that few speeches are as monotonous as the average flight attendant's pre-flight announcement, and you know what it is. He writes, when I hear, this is Helen, your chief flight attendant, I either settle down for a long nap or open my book to read. I've heard it a thousand times I could make the speech myself. But on that particular flight, Frank was different. Before we left Detroit, he got on the PA system and he said, My name is Frank, and this plane is going to Chicago. If you're in this plane and you're not going to Chicago, well, you're going anyway. After a dramatic pause, he continued, Please be sure your seatbelts are fastened. If they aren't and I discover it, I will belt you into your seat upside down. A chuckle rippled throughout the cabin. There will be no smoking. I emphasize no smoking in the aisle or in the lavatories. If I catch you smoking in either place, I will take your bathroom privileges away from you. We laughed out loud, but we got the message. As we landed in Chicago, it was a hard landing. We bounced a few times as we hit the runway, but Frank was ready. As we pulled up to our gate, he said, that was our Easter evening hippity-hop landing at O'Hare Field. The Easter Bunny says, welcome to Chicago. Almost the entire plane broke out into applause. Worsby writes, Frank reminded me of something that Easter night. No matter how important your message, people will miss it unless you get their attention. That's so true. It doesn't matter how important your message is, people will miss it unless you get their attention. In this day and age when we are bombarded with so much information to the point where information is repeated, we often have a tendency to no longer pay attention to what we are listening to. And it is when we do not pay attention and miss important announcements and truth that we often get ourselves into trouble. We speak this morning on the pitfall of inattention. And the pitfall of inattention has led many lives to end very badly. Inattention is similar to neglect, which we talked about a few weeks ago. But the pitfall of inattention goes towards something deeper. This is how one poem describes inattention. I never was guilty of wrong actions, but on my account, lives have been lost. Trains have been wrecked. Ships have gone down at sea. Cities have burned. Battles have been lost, and governments have failed. I never struck a blow or spoke an unkind word, but because of me, homes have been broken up. Friends have grown cold. The laughter of children ceased. Wives have shed bitter tears, brothers and sisters have been forgotten, and fathers and mothers have gone brokenhearted to their graves. Who am I? I am inattention. How do we avoid the pitfall of inattention, the 11th pitfall of our series, Kings and Kingdoms, as we take a look at how we can avoid these pitfalls to finish well? 
I'd like you to turn with me this morning in your Bibles to the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 35. 2 Chronicles chapter 35 in your physical or electronic Bibles. And we're going to be looking this morning at the second half of the life of King Josiah. If you remember from last week, we talked about how King Josiah's action led to a spiritual revival of a nation when they discovered the Word of God as they were renovating and refurbishing God's holy temple. Now, as they've been reading from God's Word, they realize that they need to keep one of the most important feasts as prescribed in the Scriptures for the Jewish people. And this is where we pick up our passage this morning in 2 Chronicles 35. I read from verse 1 and 2. Now, Josiah kept the Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem, and they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th day of the first month. And he set the priests in their duties and encouraged them for the service of the house of the Lord. At the age of 26, with the completion of the restoration and renovation of the temple, King Josiah led his people in the observance of the Feast of Passover. For those of you who are unfamiliar with this feast, Passover is the greatest of the memorial feasts of Israel, remembering their freedom from slavery in Egypt centuries before. It was to commemorate how God had sent an angel of death on that tenth and final plague because Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he was to kill all the firstborn of the land. But there was a provision that God had put that those who had killed the lamb, a sacrificial lamb, and spread the blood of that sacrificial lamb on their doorpost, the angel of death would pass over their house and spare the firstborn in that home. So in preparation for this greatest of feasts, we find surprisingly that King Josiah is fully involved. In fact, he even seems to obsess over some fine details to which we normally would not feel is very important. He's like the event planner. He's the party planner. And it is surprising in the Scriptures what he pays attention to. And it is from these four areas to which he pays certain attention to that we want to draw out four spiritual principles for how we can live our lives paying attention to these things so that we can finish well and avoid the pitfall of inattention. Let's take a look at the first area of attention Josiah pays, verse 3. Then Josiah said to the Levites who taught all Israel, who were holy to the Lord, put the holy ark in the house which Solomon the son of David, king of Israel, built. It shall no longer be a burden on your shoulders. Now serve the Lord your God and his people Israel. When we read verse 3, it's a bit surprising that the first thing Josiah asks as they were to prepare for the feast of Passover is that he asks that the Ark of the Covenant, the holiest, most sacred symbol of God's presence with His people, be returned to the temple's Holy of Holies. And by doing so, they would no longer have to carry it around on their shoulders. And so we ask ourselves the question, what in the world is the ark not doing in the temple's holy of holies? What in the world, why in the world is the ark not in the temple? Verse 3 doesn't give us a reason. 
Some have conjectured perhaps it was because of the wickedness of King Manasseh, Josiah's grandfather. And if we read his life, we remember that he began to place idols, the Canaanite false deities, the idols of that land, and he began to place them in the temple and around the courtyards. Perhaps he had gone so far as to take out the Ark of the Covenant and replaced it inside the Holy of Holies with an idol. It's almost unthinkable the wickedness that must have been involved to take out the ark and replace it with an idol. Others believe that perhaps the ark had only been temporarily taken out during the renovations of the temple, which seems more logical to me. But it was during this temporary removal that the priests and the Levites began to walk around with it. You see, in the ancient Near East, the pagans would often parade their idols around on special occasions, thinking that somehow as they paraded these idols, the spiritual fervor of the people would be increased. And so these Jewish Levites did the same thing, thinking that if the people saw the Ark of the Covenant, they would gain more spiritual fervor. Uh, a modern equivalence uh, you often see in your barangays, in your local communities, when the local communities would parade the Santo Nino, uh, they would uh, carry around the idols. And this is definitely not prescribed in the scriptures. And so the admonition of King Josiah put back the Ark of the Covenant, put it back where it belongs, leave it in the temple where it needs to be. Regardless of the reason why it wasn't in the temple, what is important is that Josiah was making sure that as he prepared for the feast of Passover, that everything was put into its proper place. He wanted to ensure that there was proper decorum when it came to the things of God. The Ark of the Covenant belonged in the house of God, and it should have remained there. And it is in this first area of attention that we draw out our first spiritual principle, number one. To avoid the pitfall of inattention, we must, number one, put things where they belong because actions determine attitude. Put things where they belong. We need to be attentive to put things where they belong because actions determine attitude. Let me explain this. More often than not, we don't have a proper decorum as it relates to the things of God. There are certain things we use to worship God. And that's not to say that the physical objects like this pulpit I'm speaking at or the communion table we use on the first Sunday of every month is more holy than the table you have in your home. But we don't eat on the pulpit. If we run out of tables, we don't use the communion table. Why? Because we feel, because it relates to the worship of God, it should be set apart for a very special use. We don't worship it. It is not more holy, and yet our actions will drive our attitude. You see, my friends, when we lose respect for what is God's and belittle the things of God, it is a slippery slope down the road of also belittling what we think about God. Why do we tell kids when they're running around the church inside the sanctuary, why do we tell them not to run around? It's not because 
they will fall and hurt themselves. It's because we want them to understand that when you come to a place where God is worshipped, then it is different from a playground. It is different from their home. Because actions determine attitude. You've heard me say many times the reverse. You know this to be true. Our attitudes drive our actions. Our values drive our action, and that is true. But the reverse is also true. Actions determine values. Actions determine attitude. If you force yourself to do something, it often changes your attitude. Let me give you a few examples. Some of you live with spouses uh, that are very clean. They expect that there is no clothes on the floor. They expect that the bed be done. And if you are a spouse married to someone like that who is not as clean as them, you know the frustration. It is the case in our household. And sometimes I wonder, did my wife grow up as a child who loved things that were clean? Let me ask you this question. Do any of you have children who without being told every day put their toys back in its proper place and make their own bed? Any child like that? Yeah, I didn't think so. If you have a child like that, that is an odd child. <laughs> that is not a normal child. Most children will leave their rooms messy until you are yelling at them to clean their room, right? You know that to be true. Now, you can say that that child should clean his room because he should value cleanliness. Let me tell you something. There is no child that grows up valuing cleanliness. But you can ask those who are very clean in their adult life, and studies have shown that those who love cleanliness had an upbringing where their parents told them every day to clean their rooms. You see, the action of doing something every day began to change their values, began to change their attitudes. How many of you were forced to play the piano when you were young? And how many of you told your parents you hated it? I was in that boat. My parents forced me to play piano for 20 years. Yes, 20 years. And I hated it. I hated it. But here's the interesting thing. When you have to do something for 20 years, you start liking it, although you won't admit it. It begins to change your perspective. Now, I'm not going to play the piano for you. We have more than enough pianists. I can't do everything in this church. <laughs> but uh, in times of stress, although I haven't had practice in a long time, I just go to our piano in the living room and just, you can ask my family, I just play something. It calms me down. That which I hated, I now enjoy. Why? Because you're forced to do it. Your actions begin to change your values. So is it as it relates to spiritual things. If the things of God are things you respect and honor, not because it is something we worship when we're not told to worship those things, but because we value it because it is associated with the God we worship, then it will change your attitude towards God. You remember Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament? If you're unfamiliar with their story, I invite you to go uh, and read about them in the book of Acts. Ananias and Sapphira tried to trick God 
with their tithes, with their giving. And it's almost shocking when you read the story of Ananias and Sapphira, you realize that as they tried to trick God with their giving, they were killed on the spot. They weren't forced to give, but they tried to trick God. Why was their punishment so severe? Because at that time, the early church was starting to be established in its foundational core. And I believe that God was so severe in how He dealt with Ananias and Sapphira because God in the early church formation didn't want people to take Him for granted. He wanted to make sure that the people of the early church understood that you do not play around with the things of God. You don't play games with God. Because He knew how one treated through their action, the church will often overflow into the reflection of what they think about God. And God's specific instruction were pretty clear about the Ark of the Covenant. It should remain in the Holy of Holies. Only once a year is the high priest allowed to even go and see it. And if it is to be moved on the shoulder of the priest, it was only if it was to be moved for a specific purpose. And now with the permanence of the temple versus the tabernacle, it didn't need to be carried on the shoulders, paraded around for the people to see. And so Josiah made sure that it was put back in its proper place. In your life, pay attention that things are put where they belong. Things are handled as they should be because actions determine attitude. The second area of attention Josiah paid to is found in verse 4 to 6. Look with me. Prepare yourselves according to your father's houses, according to your divisions, following the written instruction of David, king of Israel, and the written instruction of Solomon, his son. And stand in the holy place according to the divisions of the father's houses of your brethren, the lay people, and according to the division of the father's houses of the Levites. So slaughter the Passover offerings, consecrate yourself, and prepare them for your brethren. Note this, that they may do according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Look at what Josiah instructs the Levites. He asks them to prepare themselves in groups according to the instructions of David and Solomon. And note this, to do the work according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses to do it by the Word of God, to do it by the book. Josiah wanted to make sure that the smallest details in the preparation for the Feast of Passover was followed exactly by the book how God has instructed it in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Perhaps that English idiom, do it by the book, comes from here. Josiah was asking the question, are we doing it in line with what the Scriptures instruct us? And his instruction to the minutia of detail to his Levite priest was to do it according to the book. You see, my friends, when the Bible gives us general principles for how we are to live, it also gives us specific instructions for how we live. Yes, it's both general and it's principles, and yet there are certain things that the Bible is quite specific if you only read it. It tells us how to treat one another. It tells us how we are to encourage one another. 
It tells us how we are to function as a church and relate with one another. It tells us about how we relate to the world, how parents are to relate to their children, how children are to honor their parents. The Bible is specific on how we live out our Christian life. And so in these things that mark your life, do you pay attention to the details as you ask yourself the question, is my life lived according to the Word of God? Do I live my life by the book? We're not talking about legalism. We're talking about following out the principles of Scripture in your life. And it is something we need to pay attention to. It is something we need to ask ourselves and that is number two in the area of attention for how we can avoid the pitfall of inattention. Number two, following what is written in the Bible. Asking yourself the question, am I doing things consistent with what the Word of God says and teaches? Now, if I say that, some of you may become defensive because in your mind, living out the words of Scripture is restrictive. We think that the Bible is there to be the cosmic killjoy, to suck all the joy out of life, to limit us, a bunch of do's and don'ts. If you believe that about the Scriptures, then you've completely missed out on the beauty of Scripture. Scripture sets for us a guideline, and it is in that guideline from a God who loves us that we can live in freedom in Christ. It's very freeing to live according to the book, according to Scripture. It gives you a sense of peace and a sense of freedom. I'm speaking at a retreat in New York next year. And so as some of you know, I, uh, I booked my flight uh, through Taiwan. It was the cheapest to get to North America and back. And it was already rather a full flight. It was during the peak season. And I selected my seat because I wanted an aisle seat. And as I pulled up the seat map for all four flight segments, I found that uh, most of the seats had already been taken. But I found it strange that row 49 had not been taken. All 10 seats of that 777 economy seat had not been taken. I thought maybe there was something wrong with row 49, so I even looked at seatguru.com. Uh, maybe that row doesn't recline. Uh, maybe, I don't know, there's less leg room. No one took row 49. 48, 47, all full. 50, 54 to 54, all full. Why didn't anyone take a seat in row 49? So I did a bit of research. What's wrong with row 49? And when you Google things, you find a lot of things. Apparently, uh, in this flight through Taiwan, uh, I know about numerology, I know about uh, the Chinese culture, uh, and I knew that people for sure would avoid uh, row four, but most of us can't afford row four anyways, being in first class, um, because four uh, has, uh, or sounds like the word for death and connotes it. Uh, I didn't realize that uh, nine meant long-lasting, or sounds like long-lasting, and so apparently, 49, the number, means long-lasting death, or sounds like long-lasting death. So no wonder no one chose, especially in a Chinese flight, no one chose row 49. But you know, the Bible is so clear that numerology is a bunch of baloney. It's, it's old wives' tales. It's false. 
And guess where I chose to sit on all four flight segments? It's, it's actually quite near the front of the airplane. I chose to sit in row 49, and I have the row all to myself. <laughs> I can even lay down and sleep. And if anyone tries to take my seats in row 49, I will tell them, don't you know this is row 49? <laughs> the scriptures are freeing. Living by the book frees us from the shackles of sin, frees us from the shackle of legalism, gives us the boundaries to protect us and then the Bible tells us, go and enjoy life. If you don't believe me, read the book of Ecclesiastes. It is in the book where we find power to live. Like what R.A. Torrey says about the Scriptures and power. He says, you may talk about power, but if you neglect the one book that God has given you as the one instrument through which He imparts and exercises His power, you will not have it. You may read many books and go to many conventions and you may have your all-night prayer meetings to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit, but unless you keep in constant and close association with the one book, the Bible, you will not have power. And if you ever have power, you will not maintain it except by the daily, earnest, intense study of the book. Ninety-nine Christians in every hundred are merely playing at Bible study. And therefore, 99 Christians in every hundred are mere weaklings when they might be giants, both in their Christian life and in their service. How can you be a giant of the faith? By reading the Word of God. I can say that Josiah was a spiritual giant of his time in the Scriptures because he held to God's Word and he desired that everything that he did was done according to the book. The third area of attention he pays to is in verses 7 to 19. Look with me. We don't have time to read all of it, but to summarize verse 7 and 9, we see that as part of the Passover feast, the Passover lambs were to be killed and to be prepared to be eaten by the people. We see in verse 7 and 9 that the king, King Josiah, provides 30,000 sheep and goat and 3,000 cattle for this occasion. Through their example of their leader, Josiah, the leaders of the nation also gave generously. And when they saw that the leaders of the nation gave generously, the head priests also gave generously 2,600 sheep and goat, 300 heads of cattle to their fellow priests to which the head of the Levite tribe also saw this and gave to their other fellow clansmen 5,000 sheep and goat and 500 cattle. Now, why does the Bible describe in detail how many sheep and goat and cattle are given? What you see here is that as Josiah sets the initial example followed by all, he was giving generously. Why? Because he wanted everyone to participate in the Passover feast. He was enabling participation that everyone could eat. He didn't want anyone to have an excuse or a reason why they weren't participating. There would be no exception. That's how desiring he was that everyone in his nation followed In verse 10 to 13... It talks about the reading of the food for the Passover feast. 
The lambs were slaughtered by the Levites, their blood sprinkled on the altar. Uh, The burnt offerings, the unused sheep and goats were given uh, to the people. It's quite detailed. But I want you to note something about this Passover that Josiah oversaw, verse 14 to 16. Then afterward, they prepared portions for themselves and for the priest because the priest, the sons of Aaron's, were busy in offering burnt offerings and fat until night. Therefore, the Levites prepared portions for themselves and for the priest, the sons of Aaron. And the singers, the sons of Asaph, were in their place according to the command of David, Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun, the king's seer. Also, the gatekeepers were at each gate. They did not have to leave their position because their brethren, the Levites, prepared portions for them. So all the service of the Lord was prepared the same day to keep the Passover and to offer burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord. Note this, according to the command of King Josiah. King Josiah commanded that no one would be exempted the Levites who were serving, who were so busy, the priests who were actually preparing and leading the celebration would not be forgotten. Food was set aside for them. The musicians who played during the festival, the gatekeepers, the guards, you can't have the guards leave their post. The guards, the gatekeepers were remembered and given portions so that they too could participate in the event. Again, another example of Josiah making sure that everyone participated and no one had an excuse not to participate. If you were the king of a nation, would you get down to that level of detail? If you're planning a party, do you worry whether the guards and the maids and the gardener and uh, the, the driver and everyone has gotten their fill? We're just happy that the majority of you got fed. Who thinks about those details? Now, why is this important? This third area of attention to which Josiah paid is important. Let me give you the principle first and I'll explain it. Number three, to avoid the pitfall of spiritual inattention, number three, we need to provide for no excuses and no exceptions. Provide for no excuses and no exceptions exceptions. Josiah wanted to make sure that everyone in his kingdom participated in this Passover which commemorated the goodness and faithfulness of God. It wasn't so they would be fed. It was so that they would remember as all memorial feasts to the Jewish people were to do to remind them of the God of their fathers. This is important in our spiritual life. Because in our minds, oftentimes, we play a game. We play the game as we process all sorts of information. Does this concern me or does this not? If it doesn't concern me, I don't care. If it concerns me, I will listen. Well, we do the same thing when it comes to spiritual things. If it concerns me, I will listen. If it doesn't concern me, I won't listen. Let me give you an example. If I made an announcement and I said these words, For those of you who are attending the Spiritual Life Conference next week, then I'll give you some instructions. Those of you who, when you hear my first phrase, are you attending, you'll say, well, I'm not attending, so what you're going to say doesn't concern me. 
For those of you who are attending, you will listen. What if the rest of my announcement was to announce that next week there will be no Saturday and 7.30 service? I'll tell you what. You know, every year, every year, someone shows up at the Saturday 6 o'clock service and they'll show up at the Sunday 7.30 service. And usually because I live here and I'm down early, I greet them. Why are you here? Well, pastor, isn't there service? I said, don't you know this week is Spiritual Life Conference? The times have changed. Oh, no one mentioned anything. And I so want to say to them, it's been in the bulletin for two months. I've spent three Sundays talking about it right before the sermon. No, no, you never mentioned anything. <laughs> Why? Because they heard those words, if you are going to do this. And that's what we all do as it relates to spiritual things. If it concerns me, I will listen. If it doesn't concern me, I won't listen. And guess what? For most spiritual things, it doesn't concern me. It's for my neighbor who needs to hear it. Because I'm living a pretty good life right now. Josiah says no one. No one is exempted. Verse 17 to 19, And the children of Israel who were present kept the Passover at that time and the feast of unleavened bread for seven days. Note this, there had been no Passover kept in Israel like that since the days of Samuel the prophet. And none of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as Josiah kept with his priests and the Levites, all Judah and Israel who were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem in the 18th year of the reign of Josiah this Passover was kept. Seven days, such a great feast that they had not seen anything like it since the days of Samuel. Why? Because everyone was participating. No one was sitting at the sideline somewhere. And that's a good reminder for us in our spiritual walk. Take yourselves out from the sidelines and get involved for those of you who know sports, you know, if you're always on the bench, if you're on the sideline, you know that you do not pay attention to the game as if you were playing. I kind of realized that again this past Sunday. Uh, I had a kind of free Sunday after our church board meeting, and so uh, I went to uh, go uh, play at the church league. Uh, every conference, they put my name um, as part of the league, whether I sign up or not, I guess they just want me there. Uh, and so I had literally no desire to play. I was tired, out of shape, uh, and just to be there for moral support as I suited up. And um, I had forgotten that uh, it is a rule in our church league that everyone who suits up and plays, plays at least five minutes in the game. Uh, you can ask Coach Edster. I... I told him, as he told me to go in, I said, only for one minute, only for one minute. And I kept looking at him while I was there. I kept saying, sub me out, sub me out. I have no energy. Uh, it was a futile attempt at basketball. Um, I didn't even know why I was on the court, other than to run up and down the court. Uh, and, you know, they were so kind. They kept feeding me the ball. They wanted their passer to score. And they fed me the ball, and I shot, and I missed everyone. You know, the, the opposing team must have felt so bad for me that when they got the ball, they even passed me the ball. 
It's true. You can watch the video. And I still couldn't score. But something I will admit, I had actually gone just to sit on the bench uh, to think about things, not really pay attention, but just to be there. But, you know, there's a difference between sitting on the bench and actually playing. There was a set, certain sense of camaraderie and being a part of it. And as I uh, finished the game, sore all over my body for just five minutes of basketball, but uh, just thinking about uh, being engaged in something when you're not sitting on the sidelines. And I think that's the principle here in our spiritual walk. No exceptions. You are not an exception to what the Scriptures have to say. There are no excuses for why you cannot live out the truths of the Scriptures. The Bible doesn't allow for that. And if you are cognizant and aware of that, then you will avoid the pitfall of inattention. But if you don't, you will fall right into it because you thought you were excused and exempted, and then you'll wonder why your life ended so badly. The fourth area of attention is in verses 20 to 27. Uh, it's not a positive one for Josiah, but uh, let's take a look. Uh, before we read verse 20, let me give you a bit of a historical background. Uh, in 609 BC, Assyria, the kingdom of Assyria, was losing its status as the world power of the ancient world. The Babylonians were on the rise. And the Babylonians had backed the Assyrians into a corner. The Egyptians, being more fearful of the Babylonians than the Assyrians, tried to come to the aid of the Assyrians at a place called Carchemish. And to get from Egypt to Carchemish, you had to pass through the land of Judah. Now, King Josiah favored the Babylonians, and so he tried to help the Babylonians by intercepting Pharaoh Necho and the Egyptians from getting to Carchemish to help out the Assyrians. Look at verse 20. After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Carchemish by the Euphrates, and Josiah went out against him. But Necho sent messengers to Josiah saying, What have I to do with you, king of Judah? I have not come against you this day, but against the house with which I have war, and that's the Babylonians. For God commanded me to make haste Refrain from meddling with God, who is with me, lest he destroy you. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguise himself so that he might fight with Necho, and did not heed the words of Necho from the mouth of God. So he came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. We find out in verse 21 to 22 that Necho tries to convince Josiah to step aside. I am not here to fight you, Josiah. It is the will of God that I go and aid the Assyrians. But note verse 22, Josiah would not listen. And so he went up to battle them in the valley of Megiddo. It's a bit surprising that this righteous king did not even bother to check with God through his prophets if indeed this word was from him. Somehow Josiah was so certain that he was doing what was right, he was so certain it could not have come from God. How can the words of God come from a pagan king? And because he did not check, a man who paid close attention to everything 
He should have known that the Word of God tells us that there are times that advice comes through those who do not believe in the one true God. But because he did not listen and he did not bother to check the prophets of God and God Himself, in verse 23 to 24, he was killed in battle. Josiah was so sure God could not have spoken through a pagan king. Verse 24. So Josiah died and was buried in one of the tombs of his father. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Jeremiah also lamented for Josiah. And to this day, all the singing men and the singing women speak of Josiah in their lamentations. They made it a custom in Israel, and indeed they are written in the laments. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and his goodness according to what was written in the law of the Lord and his deeds from first to last, indeed they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. The death of this beloved king shocked and saddened the nation. Even the great prophet Jeremiah composed songs of lament for the occasion of his death, and they were sung throughout Israel's history. He was so loved. As one commentator writes, Josiah came closer to the Davidic messianic idea than any other kings since Solomon, since David. And yet Josiah, who had paid such close attention throughout his life into various areas of life, missed out on this one, and it led to his death, number four. Listening to the advice of others, because it is often wise counsel from God. Listening to the advice of others, as it is often wise counsel from God. If you want to avoid the pitfall of inattention, pay attention to what other people are telling you, especially spiritual people. Of course, always filter others' advice through the words of Scripture to make sure it is consistent with the Word of God. But understand that sometimes God sends people, perhaps in the persons of your parents, who may not be believers, to speak truth into your life. That sometimes sends you, send you friends, family members, to give you advice. And if you do not listen, and you do not pay attention to what they say, then you are missing out on wise counsel from God. And because you do not pay attention to that, it could lead to your downfall, just like it led to the death of Josiah. Just because you live a righteous life and you have a great relationship with God doesn't mean you will not fall into the pitfall of inattention. If only Josiah had heeded the advice, which was the Word of God. Sometimes it's the little things, the small things, that begin a domino towards us ending badly. I remember a story I read of a father who was tasked with preparing the turkey for the American Thanksgiving dinner. 
He went full force in the preparation of this Thanksgiving dinner. He went to the store. He bought the biggest, uh, juiciest-looking turkey he could find. He spent hours in preparation. He had spent hours before on the Internet researching about the best way to prepare a turkey, even massaging it, uh, putting in the best turkey stuffing uh, with the garnishes, and um, followed all the directions of all the experts telling him how to create the most perfect turkey for Thanksgiving. Well, he put it in the oven, and after five hours of slow roasting, when it was time for the Thanksgiving dinner, the family had gathered, they were all seated around the table, and they were looking with eager anticipation of a, a succulent, juicy turkey. So the father walked proudly uh, to the oven. When he opened the oven and was prepared to take out the turkey, he realized that he had forgotten to turn on the stove. Sometimes, it's just one of those little things that you did not pay attention to that will cause you to fail in a very big way. Sometimes, it's simply not asking God to corroborate this advice and asking God for help. Lord, is this your will? You know, this should remind us that we should be so scared to take our eyes off the ball, to be inattentive because it only takes one moment of inattention and forgetting something that could lead to our downfall. That's to challenge you, not to scare you, but to challenge you to pay attention to what the Word of God says, to appeal to God for help in all areas of your life. So there it is. Pay attention. Put things where they belong because actions determine attitude. Pay attention following what is written in the Scriptures. Do it by the book. Pay attention so that you don't provide for excuses and exceptions in your spiritual life. Pay attention to listen to the advice of others as wise counsel from God. Pay attention and avoid the pitfall of inattention. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It's a good reminder for all of us, including myself, that there are often times we do not pay attention, we do not listen because we think it doesn't concern us, so we fall. Help us to be like Josiah, to live by the book, to want our lives to be by the book, Help us to have the proper decorum for the things of God so that our actions will drive our attitudes and that we will have a high view of God. Help us, Lord, never to make excuses because all the words of Scripture is applicable for us. Help us to heed the advice of those whom you send into our lives, filtering it through the Scriptures to see how we can live a better life. Change us to be more like you. Help us to be spiritual giants of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray.